Well, for one day in 1982, Larry Walters captured the imagination of America. Ever since he fought the war in Vietnam, Walters had wanted to fly, but his eyes were too bad to join the Air Force. So he joined the Army instead and went off on his tour in Vietnam. And when he came out of the military, he went and got a job driving trucks in North Hollywood, California. Now, if you're like me, you're uh, encouraged that someone whose eyes are too bad to fly can still drive a giant semi down the highway. But nonetheless, that was what he did. But he never gave up on his dream to fly. So on July 2nd, 1982, Larry took 42 weather balloons he had purchased from an Army-Navy surplus store, had them filled with helium, and strapped them to a lawn chair that he bought at Sears Roebuck. Now, this is not the plot of the movie Up. This actually happened in 1982. Um, he took along a CB radio to communicate with his friends on the ground, some sandwiches and beer, a camera, and a fully loaded pellet gun with which to shoot down the balloons one at a time when he was tired of flying and wanted to descend. He tied a 100-foot rope to the bumper of his friend's Buick Riviera because his plan was to lazily float up to about 100 feet, get a lay of the land before cutting the rope so he could float off even higher. What could possibly go wrong? Well, 42 weather balloons proved a more powerful force than Larry expected. And so instead of lazily gliding up into space, he shot like a rocket, his friends say, about 800 feet a minute to the point where uh, as he ascended past the 100-foot rope, it broke, and he quickly ascended to 15,000 feet in his shorts and sandals, 15,000 feet. You can imagine it's pretty cold up there. At this point in his flight, Larry decided, well, it's probably time to shoot some of those balloons and, you know, level off and start my descent. So he shot out a few. Uh, Larry didn't remember how many, but he thought maybe five before the lawn chair lurched forward and the pellet gun flew off his lap. As he watched it spiral to the ground, he thought, I thought I'd thought of everything. <laughs> I brought extra ammunition. I brought extra carbon dioxide cartridges for the gun, but I never really thought I'd lose the gun itself. When he was next spotted, he was at 16,500 feet, spotted by a Delta Airlines pilot on his final approach into LAX. <laughs> uh, air traffic control, we have a cluster of balloons over here attached to what, uh, what appears to be a lawn chair. <laughs> Fortunately for Larry, the balloon started to lose helium and he slowly drifted toward the ground. Unfortunately, on his descent, he got tangled up in a cluster of power lines and was left dangling from the ground and cut out electricity to an entire neighborhood for an afternoon. Now, he didn't fall to his death. He didn't get hit by a plane. He didn't even get electrocuted, but he did get arrested <laughs> and charged with a $1,500 fine and had his name and picture all over the national news that night. Now, here's my favorite part of the story. When, when a local reporter asked him, Larry, why did you decide to fly? Here's what he said. Well, a man can't just sit around. <laughs> I don't disagree with him, you know. And, but here, isn't this exactly where some of us find ourselves in our faith? We, we come to Christ, we put him in charge of our lives, and we sit around thinking, okay, what's next? Like, what's the next big adventure? What's the next thing we have to conquer? Our future is determined. Our salvation is secure. We're inclined to just sit around. But as we see in our passage today, God has so much more for us than that. So if you've got your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 8 uh, as we're finishing up our series called Sent. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these blue ones on the floor around you. And it's page 764 in this Bible, Acts chapter 8. 
just very quickly, we're going to talk about, we've been in this series called Sent. We've been talking about how the first church was born and grew. And uh, this is our last week in that series. We're going through the first eight chapters of Acts. And in case you've missed some of it, I just want to go really quickly. We'll review some of what we've talked about. Um, and uh, very first in week one, we talked about the charge from Jesus. In Acts 1.8, he gives us this command. He says, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we said that first church was successful and the gospel spread outside of Jerusalem, not because they had a great building or because they played great music or they had cool programs or creative series, but because they had uh, people that knew that they were sent that they were on mission. They were a family on mission. And that's what the church was meant to be. That's what we talked about week one. And week two, we talked about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises in Acts 1.8 and how that spirit was on the church and how he was actually the power behind the church. Then at week three, we, we looked at the message of the church. And, and we said that sometimes the message of Christianity seems very exclusive, that you got to be part of this club to be in, but that when we realize that our value is not found in how good or how smart we are, but in how good God is, then it's not really that exclusive at all. In fact, Christianity is the most inclusive exclusivity there is. And then last week, Jerry talked about Stephen, this ordinary man, uh, one of the first servants of the church, and we talked about how God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. And so as we wrap up today, we're going to look at one more story from the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 8. And it's the story of how the news of Jesus actually spread outside of Jerusalem. It's, it's how this good news left Jerusalem and very quickly spread to the rest of the known world. And uh, just to warn you up front, today's sermon is not like a normal, uh, you know, three, three great points and, a, and something witty to remember at the end. This is more about helping us find our mission in Christ. We're going to kind of wrap up the rest of this series in one message. So we're going to look at this historical account of one man in this first church, a man by the name of Philip. We'll get to know him here in a minute. We're going to let it teach us that each of us should be on mission somewhere. And I know many of you have been thinking about that in this series. Uh, some of you have told me that this has been causing you to think about, like, where is your mission field? Who, who are the people that you're uniquely called to? And so we're going to do something kind of special at the end of the service. We're going to give you a chance to be commissioned, to be sent out into that mission field. And so just as you're, as you're listening to what we're talking about today, um, we're going to have that time at the end of the service to do that. So just know that we're going to have some people up here that would love to pray over you and commission you to be sent out into your mission field to the people that God has called you to. All right, so we're going to start in Acts 8, uh, verse 1. Acts 8, 1. On that day, it says... Uh, let's go back one slide there. Uh, oh, it says, and Saul approved of their killing. Sorry about that, Max, that was my fault. Uh, and Saul approved of their killing. And then it says, on that day, on what day? On the day that Stephen was killed. We talked about that last week. Uh, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Uh, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And so just a couple of things I want you to see from this passage here. Uh, Luke, remember Luke is the author of Acts. Uh, Luke, who also wrote the book of Luke, and he was a doctor. He was a, a scientist by nature, so he was inclined to research all these details. Uh, Luke is very clear about who stayed in Jerusalem and who left. Notice what he says. He says, he says uh, 
that uh, a great persecution broke out and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So do you see that in verse one? All except the apostles were scattered. So the apostles stayed behind in Jerusalem and everybody else left and was scattered. Now, why does Luke go to the trouble to tell us that the apostles stayed behind? Well, it's not because he's gonna tell us what the apostles did back in Jerusalem because we never find that out in the book of Acts. Instead, I think he tells us that to let us know that the work that started to happen outside of Jerusalem when the good news went to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth was actually the work of the lay people. It wasn't the pastors and the elders and the, the leaders in the church. It was the lay people who were sent outside of Jerusalem. These are the very first people who took the message outside of Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They were ordinary people who were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And notice, where do they go? They go to, the scripture tells us, to Judea and Samaria. Acts 8.1 is the first place that Judea and Samaria are mentioned after Acts 1.8. That the ordinary people carried out the mission of Jesus, the, the assignment that Jesus gave them. Now, the second thing I want you to note is that the killing of Stephen really lights a fire under Saul. Now, Saul is the man who we will come to know as the Apostle Paul. He will become one of the world's most proficient church planners and uh, write about two-thirds of the New Testament. Right now, he's persecuting the church. He's anti-Christian. And what we see is that he was already uh, a pretty bad dude, but when he sees Stephen killed, he gets angrier. And he starts to go into people's homes and drag them out and put them in prison. That, and, and isn't it true that our first response to the Holy Spirit is often not obedience, but resistance? Right? If you're a Christian and you've tried to tell uh, somebody about Jesus, you may have seen this before, that, that you see that their first response to the Holy Spirit is not obedience, it's resistance. I, I don't want to hear about that. I don't want you to pray for me. I don't need your prayers. Thank you very much. And even for us as Christians, isn't it true that sometimes when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit about something that we've said or something that we've done, that our first response is not to submit in obedience and say, oh, yes, Spirit, I know that was wrong of me. I'm sorry. Isn't our first response often to deny and justify? No? Just me? Okay. Let's move back to the text then. All right. <laughs> Quickly pass that. Acts 8, 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, wherever they went, that little phrase right there, that phrase is really important to remember because that phrase is the Greek word diarchomai, and it really means as they, go, as they went. So it's often translated as as they went or as they go. And, and so what it's trying to tell us, what the text is trying to tell us is that there's, um, that these people didn't go to the places they went on purpose to preach the gospel. But as they went, they preached the gospel. And I think this is important because there's a segment of the church, and I'm not talking about just Genesis church here. I'm talking about the church universal, okay? There's a segment of the church that there's, there's part of us that's that are waiting to be sent on mission, Right? We think that something big has to happen in our lives before we go and preach the gospel somewhere, before we tell somebody about Jesus. So I've got to go on a mission trip so I can share my faith with people in Haiti, or I need to quit my corporate job and become a pastor, or I need to move to a new neighborhood or take a new job or go to a new school so I can share my faith with the people there. But see what's happening here. Remember, this is not the apostles. This is not the pastors or the leaders. This is the lay people of the church being sent out. And it says they preached the word wherever they went. They didn't go somewhere, right, to, to spread the gospel. They went out of necessity, 
They, they were fearing for their lives. But as they went, they preached the word. Now, I just want to take a moment to share something with Christ followers in the room. So if you're here and you're just checking out church, you don't know what you think about Jesus, tune out for just a second, okay? The rest of you, uh, followers of Jesus, listen up. Um, I, I saw this study this week and it really disturbed me. It said that 78% of Christians, 78% of people who follow Jesus have not shared the gospel with anyone in the last six months. 78%. So in other words, only two out of 10 of us who have had our lives radically changed by Christ have told anyone in the last six months how they can do the same thing. Doesn't that seem a little unloving? I mean, think about this. In the last six months, how many times have you recommended a restaurant to someone or talked to them about a movie or a TV show that you thought they like or a YouTube clip or a song that they just had to listen to? Probably more than once, right? But, but we have the best news in the history of mankind that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me and he rose to life to show that I can have new life in him and that when I trust him to be the Lord of my life, that I, could, I get this promise that I get to live forever with him in heaven someday. Don't you want that kind of assurance before you die? But eight out of 10 of us are afraid to say that to people we know and love. And I think it's so important. I think it's so important that we share the gospel wherever we go. And I'm just gonna give you three reasons real quick. And if you wanna write these down, you can, but you don't have to. Um, it's up to you. Wherever you go, you should share the gospel. Three reasons. Number one, you live in a broken world. I don't think you have to convince anybody of that. If you've watched the news this week, if you've seen what's happening in your school or in your workplace, you know that this, there's something about this world that's not right. People are hurting, people are dying, um, and, and sin is the disease. And Jesus is the only cure. We live in a broken world. We need to tell people about that. The second reason you need to share the gospel with somebody uh, soon is that you have a unique story. If you've been saved by Christ, how he did that, how he brought you into his kingdom and what he saved you from is unique to you and it's gonna speak to some people in your life. And besides, you may be the only Christ follower that some people know. And so if you're not sharing the gospel with them, um, they're missing the opportunity to have the best news of all time. And number three, God has called us all to this mission. You may not be called to be a missionary, but you're called to be on mission. In Matthew 28, Jesus stood before his followers and he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them and teach them to obey. That, that was for all of us. Guys, we've got to do better. We've got to do, I've got to do better. We've got to do better. Okay, non-Christians, come back now. You can, you can start listening again, all right? We're gonna go back to the text, Acts 8, 5. Philip We'll talk about Philip in a minute. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now notice here, here's what we know about this. Philip, we know he was not an apostle. Remember, the apostles stayed behind in Jerusalem. Philip was one of those men who was chosen back in Acts chapter six when they chose Stephen to, uh, and, and a group of other men to go feed the widows. Philip was one of those men. He was chosen to go do that. He's another ordinary man who accepted an ordinary task. But when the persecution breaks out and his friend Stephen is stoned to death, uh, Philip needs to go. He has to flee. But he doesn't flee somewhere comfortable. Again, while he's on his way, he ends up preaching the gospel and he ends up in this place called Samaria. 
Now, if, if you don't know much about uh, your Bible geography, uh, or if you have a Bible that doesn't have maps in the back, I'll just tell you about this. Uh, Samaria was this place that not a lot of Jews went to. At that time, uh, uh, Israel was broken up into two pieces. There was Galilee in the north and Judea in the south. And right in between the two was this place called Samaria. But the Samaritans were not Jewish people. In fact, they were kind of a mixed race. They were half Jew and half Gentile or non-Jew. And so the Jews didn't associate with them. They wouldn't even wear um, mixed fibers on their clothing. So if you're not going to wear a polycotton blend, you're probably not going to, you know, associate with the mixed race people in Samaria. And the Samaritans made fun of the Jews. They thought they stuck too closely to the to the rules of God. And the Jews didn't like the Samaritans because they just thought uh, because they did things like ate unclean food and they uh, didn't practice the same practices that the Jews did. And so it was a different culture. It was one they weren't used to. And what happens when we're uh, exposed to a different culture? Well, we often fear it, don't we? And so the Jews feared the Samaritans. They didn't understand them. Um, when we fear a culture, we tend to avoid it. So the Jews avoided the Samaritans, but not Philip. He went to Samaria, and he went preaching the Messiah. And what happened? He healed people. He served their needs. And as a result, people listened to his message. Because he went into the dark places and engaged with a culture that maybe he didn't fully understand, but he was willing to engage with. He went to those places and people came to know Christ. And look what it says. There was great joy in that city. Listen, church, what if that's all people knew about Genesis Church was that we bring great joy to the city? I mean, how great would that be? If they said, I don't know who the people are in that church over there, but man, they bring great joy. I'm so glad they're here. I, have a, uh, I know one pastor who was invited recently to speak at his city's Martin Luther King Day um, celebration. And he kept asking around, like, why did you ask me uh, to, to speak at this celebration? And it was, he found out it wasn't because he was a great speaker. It wasn't because he was a well-known name. But what they said was the person in the mayor's office who he asked told him that any place in this city where we have a problem, Somebody from your church is there trying to fix it. I love that. I want that to be our church. Wouldn't that be great if people were saying that about Genesis Church? Because friends, it doesn't matter if you live in Carmel or Noblesville or Westfield or Zionsville or Indianapolis or Sheridan or Kokomo or wherever else you live. Where, whatever city or town you're in, there are problems there. And what if we could be the ones that were working hard trying to fix them and intentionally bringing joy to the city. One of the best um, definitions of evangelism I've ever heard, uh, one, one friend who has a church calls evangelism this, ordinary people living intentionally to bring joy to their city in word and deed. I love that. That's kind of their definition of evangelism. So with that in mind, the, the idea of bringing joy to a city, I just want to tell you a couple places in our cities that, that people from our church are already really engaged. And maybe this is one place that you want to get involved. Uh, we have a large number of people working to fight poverty in Indianapolis. You guys know that we're uh, engaged with Shepherd Community Center. Jerry talked about the, the food totes that we did earlier. Um, and Food for Souls. Food for Souls is a homeless outreach ministry that we have people that go down. Every Sunday, they send a team down to the homeless camps in Indianapolis, even when it snows, and uh, feed people and minister to people. And we have uh, many people from our church that have been on, on those kind of one-day mission trips. Um, but we're active in those places, helping to fight poverty in Indianapolis. 
We have uh, a large group of people that are working to bring Jesus to middle school and high schools. We have a whole row of people here from Young Life. I don't know if you've met these folks up here, but they're doing amazing work in middle schools and high schools. In Westfield, in this case, we have another group over in Noblesville. We've got uh, parents, moms and dads, who are engaged in their schools, who are volunteering and uh, looking for ways to be engaged in the schools so that when something happens, they can be there to be kind of a spiritual influence on those schools. Maybe that's an area that you feel like you could be called to, to go minister to. We have a large number of families in our church that are doing foster parenting or safe families. We've got people in our church that have just taken seriously the Bible's commandment to take care of orphans. And they've decided, I'm going to let some, some kids that aren't mine into my house. And I don't know if it'll be a day or two or if it'll be a year or two or maybe it'll be forever. But we're going to open up our home and do that. And we've got a number of families that are doing that right now. And then we have a family in our church that's starting a ministry uh, called Young Lives. Young, Life, Young Lives is, a, is a, an offshoot of Young Life, and it's for high school students, high school girls specifically, that have had children in their high school years and allows them to have a relationship with Jesus and continue to finish out their work in high school. Um, and just incredible things that people in our church are already doing. Now, maybe some of these ideas scare you because it's a culture that you're not familiar with. You don't know how you'll react around a homeless person. You're not sure how a foster child fits into your plans. You're, you're scared to death of middle school students. I get it. I understand. <laughs> but your simple actions, like using part of your time to do something great for someone who can't do anything great for you, is one way that you can preach the gospel wherever you go and bring great joy to your city. I just want to take a minute and show you one other story of a couple in our church who felt this call to mission in another place, in another culture, and how they answered this call. Justin is on our staff here at Genesis Church, um, but I want you to take a look at this video. We were in Ohio, uh, having been married for quite a few years, had a home around family, friends, all the comforts that we knew, and God made it clear that we were supposed to sell our home and leave into something very unknown. And I was nine months pregnant. <laughs> he made it clear to Justin it took some convincing on my part, definitely. And so began the wrestling um, and the tension of what obedience was going to look like over the next few months. And so God called us to Miami um, and not the beach glorified Miami, like Miami, Miami, deep in the heart of a big city where we were by far the minority and we, we knew no one. And all of a sudden, we were, the fear, the God, did you really call us here? Because it was hard. It was a very hard season. I mean, we were just logistically, I don't know, I had it in my head that God would call us there. And so then like he was going to like bless it and it was going to be easy. And instead, it was one of the most gut-wrenching, difficult seasons of my life. We had to live intentionally, just intentional with people, with our time, with our resources. And what we realized is moving to this place that we knew no one, we didn't know the culture, but we knew that God clearly called us. Yes. That we had to be less like this and completely like this, open-handed to God, you've got to move in this way because we no longer can control the circumstances of our plans. It's forever changed the way that we operate as husband and wife, as a family, and moving back to the Midwest, we look at our neighborhood different. We see it as a mission field. I struggled when we 
knew that we were moving back to the Midwest, um, God, did we like, oh, are we? Are we going, are we taking the easy way out? Yeah, are we taking the easy way out? And I feel like the moment that we got here, it was like, oh, you, you're taking everything that you have um, laid a foundation for in my life, and you actually do have a plan for this. And it has totally radically changed the way that I would live in Hamilton County had we have moved here straight from Ohio. Do you know what I mean? Like being in Miami and, and going through that season made me realize that you really can live scent wherever you are. I, I love that idea that Kelly expressed there that you can live scent wherever you are. And um, there's this, uh, this thought in there that we, we think, um, you know, if we're going to be sent somewhere, that it's going to be easy. And she talked about that. And I just know, um, because I've, I've felt this life, I've lived this life, that it's not always easy to go even to a place that God has sent you to. I know if I ask my friend Brooke right here, is fostering always easy? <laughs> She's going to say no. If I ask my friend Corbin here, is working with Young Life always easy? She'll probably say yes, because she's so positive. But um, man, what God's called us to do isn't always easy, and it isn't always how we pictured it. But the truth is, you know, you may not be called to move to Miami. That's okay. But you know what? Many of you work for multinational corporations, and someday you're going to get that call that they want you to go to another city or another state or another country. Wouldn't it be great if you were equipped to preach the gospel wherever you went, if you were equipped to go bring joy to that city? And some of you in the room are high school students, and pretty soon you're going to go off to college in another city or another state. I was talking to an IU student earlier this week, and he said, you know what? Bloomington's really a different place. And I said, I know, right? But you're going to go to a different city or a different state, and wouldn't it be nice if your roommate or the people on your floor looked at you and said, man, she's different. There's something different about her. I don't know what it is, but she brings joy to this place. And you could preach the gospel wherever you go. And some of you, many of you probably are going to stay right here in your city, in your town, in your neighborhood, maybe for the rest of your life. Man can't just sit around we got work to do. we got things to do. Wouldn't it be nice to be equipped to, send, to share the gospel wherever you go? Well, the equipping ministry of Genesis Church is called Multiply. And on a regular basis, on a monthly basis, we have meetings with uh, men's meetings and women's meetings with people who are making disciples in their neighborhoods, in their workplaces, in their schools. And, and we sit around and we share and we pray for one another and we encourage one another. And we have multiple on-ramps to get into this Multiply group, but the next one is coming up on Saturday, April 13th. It's at our Noblesville campus. And it's just a way that we're gonna just teach you six essential skills for making disciples. And I'll, I'll be there, I'll be teaching part of it. Kevin Russell on our staff will be teaching it. And we'd love to help you, to help equip you to preach the gospel as you go and to bring joy to your city in the process. You can sign up for this on our app or at genesischurch.me. Or if you wanna write, uh, multiply on your connection card with your uh, contact information, we'll get you on the list and get back to you on that. But man, how cool would it be if we were known as a people that were bringing joy to our city? I want to share one reason why it's so important for us uh, to understand what it means to be a family on mission, all right? I, I saw this survey this week, and it, my heart really broke for it because of what I do and what we do here at Genesis. A recent survey of Americans showed that 49% of Americans, now we think of ourselves as being in the Bible Belt, we think of ourselves as being a Christian country, but 49% of Americans will rarely or never set foot in a church, 
That means it doesn't matter how much better I get at preaching. And yes, I know I could get better at preaching, okay? It doesn't matter how good our music is. It doesn't matter what tricks or gimmicks we use to try to get people in the doors. Half the country, they ain't coming. They're not coming here. We have to go get them. And it just, it's just like Jesus told this story in Luke chapter 15. He said this. He said, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Now, what does the shepherd do when he finds out a sheep is lost? Well, he doesn't put on a big show and hope the sheep comes to it, right? Isn't that what so many of us as churches do? We, we put on a big show and you go, hey, this will get all the sheep. We're going to get all the sheep in our building if we do this. Hey, if we, if we have these people hanging out in our lobby, the sheep are just going to come, right? If we serve this in our cafe, the sheep are going to come. Man, if we would play this song before the service that everybody's listening to on the radio, the sheep are just going to crawl in those doors. No. Jesus says the shepherd goes to get the sheep. He goes to where the sheep are. And when he finds them, he puts them up on his shoulders and he carefully carries them back to the rest of the flock. This is why it's so important to preach the gospel as we go. By the way, do you even know what the word gospel means? It means good news. You probably have heard that. The word gospel means good news, but it was used even before Jesus came along. It was a message that was expected to have a good reception. And uh, the word gospel was most often used before Jesus as a speech that was given by a general who had won a battle. He wanted to communicate the idea that the battle has been won. Now think about that. This is really important to remember this when we share the gospel because the battle is already won. It's, it's not our b- battle to fight. All we have to do is to be, uh, to be confident in the call we've been given, right? To be faithful to what God's called us to do. We, we're not responsible for the results when we share the gospel. We're only responsible to be faithful to do that. I think this is so important to see because when we look back at the text, what I'm taking away from this message today is this. If the gospel can go to Samaria, it can go anywhere. The Jews would have never believed that anyone in Samaria would accept the gospel in such a wretched place and that the Holy Spirit would go to invade that place. But from one faithful man, this ordinary man, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we see that many people came to believe and were baptized and received the Holy Spirit in Samaria. So if you have... Um, the message notes card that you got when you walked in. Hopefully you have that. Pull that out now. If you don't, maybe you uh, open up the app or you can just take a card, uh, a connection card out of the seat back. But um, there's only one question, one fill in the blank that we put on the message notes this week. And it's this question. Who are the people you're called to? Who are the people you're called to? What's your mission field? I know many of you have been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks. But there's a unique group, person or group of people that you have in your life that you may be one of the only ones who can reach. I'm just gonna give you a few minutes. We're gonna give you a few minutes here in the service to think about that. And then we're gonna end this service, like I said, in kind of a special way. So the band's gonna come out now and we're just gonna give you a minute or two to pray about this question. And what I'd love for you to do is when you come up with the answer, write that answer in the blank. Here's the mission field. I'm, uh, and then take this with you and put it somewhere where you can see it and be reminded of it. Um, and then um, uh, maybe for you, like at your workplace. Well, it can't happen there, Steve. I'm not allowed to talk about Jesus at work. 
If the gospel can go to Samaria, it can go anywhere. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Nah, people there only care about their cars and their golf game and their kids' sports. Hey, if the gospel can go to Samaria, it can go anywhere. Maybe it's your school. Oh, sorry, we're not allowed to talk about Jesus at school. Hey, I got, got a whole row of people here that are gonna disagree with you on that, okay? If the gospel can go to Samaria, it can go anywhere. Maybe it's your own family. It's not impossible. Okay, with God, all things are possible. He, he, he raised Christ from the dead. Right? He put all things under his feet and now he sits at the right hand of the Father and he's there and he's leading the church. Jesus Christ leading the church, sitting today at the right hand of the Father and he is patient. He's waiting for everyone to come to repentance, but, but he won't wait forever. He can't wait forever. There has to be some urgency behind our message and reaching this mission field. And so we've got to live as a family on mission. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do what they did in the very first time that they chose these men to send out. In Acts chapter six, we see uh, this. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come forward right now. Um, and our, our pastors, our staff are gonna be here. And we would love to just be up here and pray over you. And so when you write something on this card, the band's gonna play this song. And when they do, um, come up to the front and we wanna lay hands on you, pray for you and commission you and send you out into that mission field that you've been called to. You can come on up at any time.